This is Writer's Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I'm David Wilk, your host. Today I'm talking to John Oakes, who is not only an author, but a longtime publisher, someone I've known for many, many years, uh, and has now become an author himself. Uh, this is a great book. It's called The Fast, The History, Science, Philosophy, and Promise of Doing Without. Um, and, you know, John, I have to say, when I first read about this book, I didn't expect what you did. And I sus I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to say that to you, um, that it's not a how-to book. It's um, not, I mean, it may be in favor of fasting on some level, but it's not, you're not, you're not what I thought you're going to be, you know, it's, <laughs> I it's, guess. Thank you. <laughs> but this is actually, I, I should say it's more like what I should have realized it would be knowing who you are. So, well, let's, we'll start with a little bit of you talking about why you undertook this, you know, what you, and you talk about it in the book, but I want you to talk about it yourself here. So first of all, David, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And it's a great honor to be interviewed by someone such as yourself who, you know, you've been doing this a long time. And I, I was just thrilled that you're, that you were interested in taking a look at the book and and as you say, it is absolutely true that I think a lot of, of people, when they hear, oh, you know, you wrote a book about fasting, they think, oh, uh, that's, you know, it's Gwyneth Paltrow light or something like this. And the truth is, as, as you know, I don't really, I deal with some of the health aspects of fasting, but that is not uh, what drives the book and it's not what drives my interest and it's, um, and I think it's actually a minor aspect of fastings. Um, right. You know, it's all, well, you know, in some ways, the, the, this is a book about philosophy and religion and sort of psyche, you know, psych psychology and kind of trying to kind of wrestle with some of the human understanding of ourselves in the world which is something that has been going on for a long time, which, you know, as you, you talk about in the book, um, and, but in a lot of the, I think people who read this book will you know if you've done any kind of reading in history or had been exposed at all to religious philosophy, and you'll know some of the people that you talk about, um, who are some of whom are famous for asceticism or for um, self-denial um, but and there is a religious tradition you know spirituality one thing you didn't talk about actually and i thought i should ask you about this in a lot of traditions um, particularly i think american indian indigenous traditions not just american but all around the world you know you might go on a vision quest and as part of the vision quest there is fasting um, and it's a form of, it isn't, I think it's, has a different view than Western traditions of fasting. And that is, it's meant to separate you from yourself. Absolutely. That's really nicely put, uh, separation from oneself. A fast is a way for me. And I think what, what excites me about it is this break in routine, which, 
uh, enable somebody like me, who's so grounded in the the, the minutiae of and 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 the trivia of our daily li- uh, of my daily life, it, it 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 takes you out of that. It's a conscious stepping back and are stepping away from, and that uh, pulling back enables you to to reconsider your place in the world a bit. You know, it's not like uh, you're going to have some revelation and or, you know, epiphany, but it, it allows you just to reconsider what you do. And for me, it's become extremely valuable. I, I, I want to answer something you asked at the, just a few minutes ago, which is how I came to the book in the first place. And really, it was, it was basically... Uh, the result of a, spo- a, a, a pretty spontaneous decision post-Trump in January after he ended his reign, like many of us, and I'm sure like I know like you, David, too, you really it just felt disgusted with the whole business. And I wanted to get him out of my system. And I literally wanted to purge. And so I decided I was going to under uh, do a fast. And I wanted to do it really do do it a bit intensively, so I decided to do it for a week, and and that's really how I came to it. I it, it really is, and what what in the course of that week, I started. I wanted to read up on the history of fasting, and I just didn't find much out there. I found bits and pieces, and of course, there's a lot about what it's supposed to do for your health, but I really was interested in the philosophical roots of fasting. And of course, that leads you into Buddhism, Judaism, and early Christianity. And I just thought it was amazing. And then all, I, I also, in the, the, after that, I thought I should also talk a bit about anorexia, you know, sort of the darker side of fasting, just to show I'm a responsible human being. I, well, I, and, I, and, yeah. right. But when you, I think throughout the book, you, you know, sort of thematically is your exploring these the different traditions and also recognizing even you know that these are the more extreme oh you're always you know because you're talking about people who made a life work or even uh, a religious practice you know that last you know that still exists in some traditions of uh, denial asceticism you know for a purpose and you're not proposing, you know, you're not espousing any of those things as what you're for what you're interested in or what we're interested in. It's more of a, you know, I thought it was interesting too. There was at one place in the book, and I didn't record where it was, where I think somebody you were talking to reminded you that the Buddha rejected fasting after doing it, and you know that kind of led him to yeah. the middle, middle yeah, way. That- that that was Kuang Lu, who's a, right. a former Buddhist monk who currently runs a school in the Netherlands, and he's somebody I I worked with. And uh, right, and I interviewed and, him. I interviewed him oh, a yeah. couple of years ago. I oh, think it was one of your books. That's yeah, great. I'd forgotten that. Right. He he great. wrote a wonderful book called "The Buddha in Jail," and then he's done uh, some other books more recently. But uh, and we we're talking about that, and he came down really against this kind of fasting, but not to, to uh, contradict him because he obviously knows a lot more about Buddhism, Buddhism and its practices than I'll ever know. Still, from the point of view of someone 
raised thoroughly in, in Western practices, there are, there's so much about stepping back that seems inherent to any school of Buddhism from, I think, uh, a Westerner's point of view. Um, it's impossible not to see that. So while Buddha clearly did choose the middle way after fasting, I think it was for 49 days, which, by the way, also proved that he could fast longer than Moses or Jesus had. And I'm sure that wasn't incidental, but, uh, but then he decided that wasn't the way to go. But I, I think you can, a, a Buddhist scholar would not say that the concept of stepping back, of withdrawal in order to allow for creation is not fundamental to a Buddhist outlook. But there's also the, you know, the kind of, I, I sort of feel like there's a constant um, sense that even the fasting can be something you attach to. And I think you you talked, I can't remember where you talked about that as well, but that there's a criticism of people who become attached to their own power that, it, you know, they kind of fall into the trap that fasting is not a... Uh, End. It, it's right, that, that, that they become more, that they think of it as conquering self rather than of opening to self. And it seems to me that there's a lot of, there is an element of that in the Western tradition, which I thought you recognized, which is that um, this du the duality between mind and body um, leads to the notion that there's something wrong with your body. If you can't control it, that mind over matter kind of idea would, instead of thinking of mind and body as being one, self you know your body is who you are it's not your mind is above your body and this lower self has to be um controlled you know the desires are are bad and and all of you know the the mind is the only pure um that's sort of the greek um tension that runs throughout western history and it also allowed us to go to the idea of conquering nature Conquering nature is the same thing as conquering self. And the idea of conquest and control is a very Western uh, and leads Abs to leads absolutely colonialism, you know, all <laughs> totally, totally. And this idea of privation is, I think, uh, uh, I, I, I can't say mistakenly because it's, uh, but it, it, it is a school that is. Uh, bound up uh, that binds privation with uh, fasting, which I think is, uh, I, as I hope is clear, is unfortunate. That for me, it was, it's actually a means of empowerment, and uh, uh, and as you say, opening up and this this temporary, and that I think is key that it's temporary. It's not like you know I'm right. aspiring to be Catherine of Siena or something, but. Just occasionally stepping back, I find it useful and enriching in a, in a way. And so, but as you say, you know, when I actually, this, this also applies to the very beginning of the book, when I had the idea to do this and I approached some people, you know, agents, for example, some of them were absolutely horrified at the idea and uh, because uh, they think of it as self-punishment and they, the first thought is anorexia. And of course, that is a real issue that, that is a disorder that is a, 
a real uh, something that has to be confronted. But I think for many of us who are of just sort of normal good health, uh, it it can be a a, a real a, a wonderful thing to experience, and then uh, a, a refreshing uh, aspect. Right, and I think one of the just to go back to the physical part uh, or the physical side of it that you mentioned some of the health benefits of, and I guess it would be called intermittent fasting. But you know, in studies that have shown, and there is like this, I know this is a, you know, there is some new age science that uh, proposes that eating, but but grounded in some real good uh, work that says uh, eating less leads to longer life. The, the, um, absolutely. I, I, I mean, as, as you know, I'm a reluctant advocate for this because I think it's been so overblown and people, the, these fasting advocates uh, say it will cure everything from, you know, depression to cancer. And re- the evidence is mixed, but overall it really does seem that uh, what they call calorie restriction is good for you. We basically, most of us eat much more than we need to and cutting back is, is healthy. And especially I, I think uh, in the West. Right. And it's interesting to you because I think we are, the nature of our lives is, makes it difficult to, and you talk about this too, at the very beginning of the book, you know, when you talk about going into a uh, sound deprivation chamber, uh, you know, which is what I thought about was this idea that, you know, we're overwhelmed with sensory input. You know, I believe the human, human experience is one of filtering out more um, sensory input that it's possible for our minds to, to deal with. So we leave out all kinds of information that's going on all the time. It's one of the reasons why different cultures have different color systems. You know, they're, everyone is filtering to what fits their environment. And I think that that helps um, support this notion, the notion in your book that is reduction of, of input, whatever it is. It doesn't, it may be food, it may be other things, it could be other sensory input, um, enables you to be calmer or if it's intentional. I mean, not if it's not intentional, it might not be. In other words, yeah. being denied food when you're is really it, hungry. All, right. right, absolutely. That's not, not going to make you feel good. No, no. It, 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 agency is essential to, the, to, to this idea of fasting, that it has to be something you undertake. And, and because it is a kind it. I think fundamental to it is this idea of even if it's temporary, you're directing your life in a way or, 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 or a portion of your life. More intentionality is imposed more than it normally is. And, and you're focusing. And that's what makes it such a valuable experience. And as you suggest, it's also really interesting to me that this is something that appears around the world in in, in just about every culture across the millennia, it's something that we've always done, humans, and this idea of stepping back for a bit and and then resuming life is uh, uh, very important. Well, maybe it, it makes you wonder whether the commonality in human existence is the tension of 
daily life versus complete contemplative life. Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day in terms of the amount of time that it used to take for human beings to uh, eat. Um, and of course, if, you know, when, when we were pre-agriculture, almost all of your time was spent in seeking, acquiring, and processing food. When we live in a world of excess, which we do, uh, there's more food than there are more calories being manufactured than actually, and they're not, you know, they're not rationally distributed. So there are some people who have 5,000 calories a day and other people who have 1,500. But if, you know, overall humans now create a, 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 an excess of calories, it may mean that we have to find a way of reducing input in order to feel some sense of um, quietude, um, selfness, that um, all the noise and all of the input would not otherwise allow you to. Yeah, I think you talked about te television, you know, it's in that kind of context that, you know, we know that there's a lot of input, uh, you know, television, food, um, all of that is, there is a continuum uh, there. Absolutely. And, and, and on your point about food, well, certainly in, in, in the States, uh, I mean, in just about every country, there are many people who don't have enough food and who can't uh, get those calories in their diet. For many of us, there's just so much waste. And I think it's the leading component of landfill uh, is food waste. And, and something like a third of all food is, is thrown away. And, but I, 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 you know, I, I also, the book I hope and it's not meant to be preachy. It's, it's really about exploring the roots of this practice, which just seems to pop up wherever you go. And also in, in activism, it's a very useful tool as a hunger strike, as That's uh, true. which is a, yeah. I think a subset of, I, I, I think it's absolutely a subset of fasting and it's a way to leverage power for people who don't necessarily have it to force the attention of authorities to uh, be focused on them. That's true. And that I sort of, I kind of neglected that in my thinking in the, as I was reading the book that I was not, I didn't focus on that as much and I'm not sure why. Um, but I'm familiar with, you know, the whole um, theory of hunger strikes. And I guess I see them as a little bit different. Um, you know, they're, you know, in the sense that what your book is focusing on is more um, uh, being and self, the uh, use of hunger, uh, of not eating in order to uh, exercise Force a dialogue, power, yeah. right, is, is but, a, but, it's a little different. Well, the, you're, you're absolutely right. It is a little different, but the continuity is that the fast, I mean, if you want to sort of go to its real earliest uses, uh, you know, and, and, and for example, in Ireland, in the Druidic tradition, they, they really saw that as opening a door to a spiritual realm and that it was basically opening, uh, you know, it was a kind of magic to the de degree that in ancient Ireland, fasting illegally uh, was, you know, against, I mean, 
they had laws when and how you could fast because it was such a powerful instrument. And I think that idea that seems to be very present in in various cultures uh, that by fasting, you're connecting with something beyond what's immediately present. I think that is makes the transition to hunger strikes, which also I think are, although I think the modern hunger strike really comes out of um, the Russian hunger strikes in the 19th century in, in prisons across Siberia, uh, when, when people would have no other ways of expressing their objection to what was going on and, and they'd uh, indulge in these hunger strikes. And out of that, the, the suffragists and suffragettes borrowed that uh, tactic, and then the Irish patriots uh, took it up again. But I, I think the connection between hunger strikes and more traditional fasting is, is, is absolutely there. Right, although still, my, you have that feeling of desperation uh, in, that is in the, you know, the hunger using fasting as a political device, um, which often leads to death because- It can, um, it can. Yeah. It can also, people can hunger, uh, can go on a hunger strike for a limited period of time as is often done. You know, the, the activists of uh, the Sunrise Movement did that and, you know, it happens all the time. And at any given moment around the world, there are people who are on hunger, you know, Alec, uh, Navalny in Russia, and then there was that, South Korean uh, politician recently, and uh, it, 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 it's always being employed as a way to force dialogue with authority and also to signal uh, purity of intent. And it, it's just very hard to see somebody who's on a hunger strike as, as being corrupt or, or self-interested in a way that's uh, uh, you know, as somebody who's not trying at least to connect with a moral realm and implicitly that makes the other side immoral. That's true. Yeah. I was, I guess Dick Gregory would be the one that for those of us old enough to remember him uh, would be who we would think about. There, you know, there were a couple of people that you talked about in the book that I remembered and a couple that I had forgotten about you talked a lot about Epicurus, and I thought I learned a lot about Epicureanism, even though I thought I knew something. And you also talked about Roy Walford, who I remember quite well, um, you know, from not only Biosphere, but, you know, his kind of activism, we'll call it. Um, you know, some really interesting people. And Mark Twain. Yes, absolutely. Twain built his career on the... Uh, the uh, Hornet incident, which was that clipper ship, uh, which caught fire and uh, uh, in the middle of the Pacific. And then uh, a, a few, a handful of the survivors made it to Hawaii where Twain was. And uh, he realized that this was a great story and he wrote about them and recycled that, that uh, anecdote many times uh, in his career. And, right, and it, he was, was, it was because those survivors had not eaten, I mean, for I don't know how long they were on the water. Um, and of course, there are many stories, you know, many uh, occasions where um, survivors of shipwrecks um, had to 
um, not eat or even drink no water unless they got rainwater. Yeah, I, he, it, I don't know to what degree, you know, Twain is guilty of falling into the, the uh, category of the over-enthusiastic fasting oh, sure. advocates. One I thing I, th- sure. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that kind of, uh, you know, being with that. And, and also, as you know, I, I, as I say, uh, the involuntary faster is not something I approve of. But one thing that's interesting in his writings about the, this incident is that he doesn't call it fasting, which I think he associated with more a religious outlook or uh, uh, something uh, that was less than uh, empire building. And he called it starvation, but it mm. was fasting. And, uh, but I mean, he was also part of that 19th century attitude that you push your body to extremes and this makes you worthy of being an empire builder. And, right. you know, this is, of course, Twain was a good or pretty progressive, extremely progressive for his time, but still he was guilty, I think, of this uh, notion of the uh, uh, the, uh, the ma- machismo as a... Uh, as a goal of, of uh, any healthy, right-thinking American male. Right, that you could survive. The, the fact of having survived the deprivation made you stronger and made you heroic. Yes. Um, which is a little different from earlier in the 19th century with the transcendentalists, who I think were probably leaning more toward the asceticism uh, and the notion of purity, uh, you know, my, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting threads in the, you know, in the 19th century, um, of religion and spirituality that, um, you know, we kind of know it's part of our tradition, but we've moved beyond that now. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, uh, I, the fa- fasting's history has all these different, uh, threads, which, which lead can lead to some places that, can be a little uncomfortable, uh, or more than a little. I mean, the, you mentioned purity. Uh, that, of course, got picked up by the eugenicists and um, and it, the proto-fascism of of uh, uh, people like. I, I mean, even the. Well, I mean, he was he called himself a socialist, but and and wrote some wonderful stuff. But Upton Sinclair was a big uh, fasting advocate, but for him. It was a, um, a, a way to enforce purity on his body. And I think for many people at that time, uh, this is probably around the early 20th century, they saw America as being infected by foreign bodies, you know, all these nasty immigrants as, as now, and uh, a way to, uh, they were anti-immigrant and then also obsessed with uh, uh, getting purifying themselves, and of course that gets picked up to well, extremes. Right. The early—it's also, I think, part of the reaction against industrialization goes kind of to the arts and crafts movement, but also you know to the health movement of the Kellogg and Post. You know where they were, um, you know, you eat eat um, less, eat uh, natural foods. And in uh, no spices, you don't want right. to have spices because, you know, it would 
that make your that it, and and Graham, you know the the Reverend Graham who gave us a wonderful Graham cracker right. and uh, but these ideas that uh, what what good Americans should eat is very banal, very uh, uh, close to tasteless, you know, not. Uh, avoiding extremes and, and also fast, like you should fast a lot, and, you know, and, and there right. were, well, and that's were, really getting you closer to God, I guess, that, yeah. right? Because denial is of, you know, the Calvinist tradition is denial sure. of self, sure. denial of desire, denial of want, um, will get you closer to God. That's, and then, and, and there were fabulous characters involved in this movement that and I suppose now too, though I, I don't quite see them, but uh, there were people like Fletcher, you know, uh, uh, I don't know if you got this part about Fletcherization, this idea that you should chew obsessively your food, and, including chew your chew water, chew milk. And then this guy had, he had figured out, you know, exactly how much you should chew cooked onions and, and people were huge fans of him, Henry James and uh, William Howard Taft. They were all Fletcherites. And uh, they, they, this was all wrapped up in the spa movement of people like Kellogg. And, right. and uh, uh, it, you know, these people were obsessed with the there's intake. A of- there's a novel there. I, I just, I'm not remembering the name of the novel, but there is a novel that includes a lot of this. If people who are listening, somebody's going to remember and let me know. But um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's a, we all grew up, probably all grew up being told to chew your food, you know, that count the number of times you chew. That's like, that That goes back to Fletcher. Yeah. Yeah. And out of that, there, there were other characters like this guy, Bernard McFadden, who built this, he uh, also obsessed with fasting and with his body. And uh, he, Basically, uh, he came up with what I believe was the first American health magazine. And he basically, he invented all this stuff, all these theories. And at some point, he also advocated eating uh, sand uh, like you find on the beach. But, you know, he was he became in uh, with nothing. This is, uh, you know, these wonderful stories, this guy built up this empire, became incredibly wealthy. And, uh, uh, but uh, again, with fasting at its core, this idea that you could get back to, to a purity, a sort of a pre, an uh, Edenic, uh, you know, Adam and Eve level of, of purity that, that we had lost, as you say, through industrialization and, and through corruption but then you know there's you know of course nazis lurking in the background here <laughs> that's not the fasting that i want to celebrate but it is but it is important to to be aware of that and and when you get all these obsessives who are floating all around us uh, who say you know you you got to fast all the time i mean there's unhealthy fasting and then there's fasting as a tool to maybe uh, as i say to reconsider or to, to take a step back and to look at what you're doing with your life, which I personally find very useful. But, you know, it's not, I mean, I, I think you can almost get the benefits of it without actually doing fasting, uh, at, at least the mental benefits. I don't know about the physical benefits. Well, you do point out at one point that your your body begins to react to the 
absence of food very quickly. And uh, there's physiological changes in your stomach. And so it's possible, conceivably, you know, that the skipping of a meal is a form of uh, fasting or, you know, maybe fasting for a day as people do during certain religious, um, you know, during Ramadan, Muslims fast for the day. Um, you know, people fast. I mean, like breakfast is breaking the fast. You know, there are, you could do it um, in smaller bites. <laughs> bites being a bad word for that. <laughs> um, so there is one, I, I wanted to read one quote here that really I thought was very nice. Um, it kind of helps explain what you're talking about. Fasting to lose weight is a bad idea, and fasting to improve your health is not a sure thing. Genetic differences determine, along with height and much of our behavior, somewhere between 40 and 80% of our body mass index. And you go on from there, but I think it's really important. You know, it's important to, um, you, you, what I thought was really great about this book is that you're not, as you said earlier, not preaching and not um, proposing a, you know, an overall approach to life. It's just, it, this is an exploration of something that you've done that you found to be useful and uh, rewarding, let's say. And I, I, I'm so glad you pulled that away from the book, David, because I really wanted that. I didn't want to tell people this is the cure-all and this is what you ought to do. No, just I, that, this I, is I, fascinating to I, me. I, when I first started reading the book, I was really struck at your erudition and the amount of work that you did no, no, it's, it, the writing is really good. I mean, this is, it's noticeable that you are a good writer. So I want to thank you for that and just give you a little, you know, give you a little praise for doing a good job. Thank um, you, so anyway, I, I probably need to uh, close here, but I really want to thank you for taking the time. This is really fun. Uh, this has been Writer's Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I've been talking to John Oakes about his book called The Fast, The History, Science, Philosophy, and Promise of Doing Without. It's a wonderful book, and I really recommend it. Thank you so much, David.